Hello, welcome to the FPS podcast series. This is podcast number four, COVID-19's impact on the government construction contractor's performance, stop work orders. My name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the director of programming for federal publication seminars. We're a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for the past 60 years. And every year, federal publication seminars trains thousands of businesses, federal agencies, individuals on the legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classrooms, online trainings, and in-house sessions. These podcasts are really just a small sampling of our important content to you as you can, as a contracting professional, you can expect from attending an FPS program. Whether in person or online, live or on demand, you cannot find another source with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. Please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. The impact of COVID-19, the ensuing delays and changes in, work, in the work, protecting the contractor's cash flow and avoiding default termination are now top of mind for every construction contractor. This podcast covers government stop work orders. And joining me today to discuss is James Newland, who is a partner with the law firm Cypher Shaw in their DC office. Jim is not only a lawyer, but a licensed architect, and he represents owners, con general contractors, and design professionals on government and private construction contracts. Jim also teaches a variety of classroom courses for federal publication seminars, as well as presenting topics of interest via webcasts for FedPubs online. Thanks for joining me today, Jim. Hi, Todd. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks. All right. So first question I have in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, what actions are available to the government under the FAR? Todd, uh, there are several options available to the government under the federal acquisition regulation. And the, the ones that we see most prevalent right now deal with changes under the changes clause where the contracting officer might take some action to alleviate pressure on the project, like changing the sequence of the work to focus on certain areas of the project that are important to the government, or something very simple like changing the specification to focus on materials that are easier to procure. They aren't subject to some quarantine restriction or something like that. The government can issue a stop work order, which we'll talk about today, but the government could also suspend the work under the suspension work clause, or finally do something a little more drastic like terminate the contract. And of course, there are terminations for convenience of the government and terminations based on a default of the contractor. So let's uh, discuss a little bit about the stop worker order option, if you would. Sure, I, I think that's something that's top of mind to most people. It can make some sense uh, if you think about it because there's a, some uncertainty, although we're now a, a, about a month into this uh, pandemic or the full brunt of the pandemic. And so people are starting to come to grips with figuring out how they're going to proceed on their projects. But the stop work order falls under FAR 52-242-15. And what it basically does is gives a timeout, gives the contracting officer the opportunity to stop the work until the parties can figure out how they're going to address the impact of COVID-19. And what the clause says in Part A is the contracting officer may at any time by written order to the contractor require the contract to stop all or any part of the work called for by the contract for a period of 90 days after the period after the order is delivered to the contractor 
and for any further period to which the parties may agree. So that's what 52-242-15 says in the first part. And basically, when the contracting officer issues a stop work order, the contractor is required to comply with its terms. The contractor doesn't have a right to say, no, I don't want to stop work. The contracting officer has to follow the order and take all reasonable steps to mitigate costs allocable to the work covered by the order during the period of the work stoppage. And so when we say uh, mitigate costs allocable to the work covered by the order, remember the contracting officer doesn't have to stop all of the work. The contracting officer can stop or shut down a portion of the work. And then that triggers this 90 day period. So before the expiration of the 90 day period, or within any extension agreed to by the contractor. Remember, the contractor can agree with the government to extend that stop work order. For instance, the contractor may think, let's continue this pause and figure out how we're going to most efficiently pick up the work once we know how to deal with the COVID-19 impact. But if there is no agreement on extending the stop work order for that 90-day period or whatever period of agreement beyond that exists, then the government has to either terminate for convenience or default. Okay, well, so so if the government issues a stop work order, are there any provisions allowing for an equitable adjustment in the contractor's cost or time of performance? Yeah, of course, there's a couple scenarios we'll talk about, but even, you'll note that even in a termination for default scenario, there are provisions for an equitable adjustment to account for the cost in complying with the stop work order. So. Let's talk about the first scenario, and that falls under subpart B of the clause. So if the stop work order is canceled or expires, the contractor simply picks up where it left off. That is, the contractor comes back and resumes the work, and the cost and time impact are going to depend on how the work was actually shut down, the time it takes to remobilize, the time it takes to remobilize not only people, but supplies, equipment, materials back to the site. So remember in resuming the work, there's going to be a, a bunch of different cost categories beyond remobilization. We may have to make or, or restore utility connections that were uh, shut down during the work stoppage, re-energize electrical work that was de-energized to make it safe, removing make safe work or temporary protection, for instance, if the contractor boarded up windows or that type of thing. And the contracting officer is obligated to make an equitable adjustment in the contract price and or the time of performance subject to two conditions under the clause. So if the stop work order results in an increase in the time required for or the contractor's cost properly allocable to the performance of any part of the contract and the contractor asserts its right to that equitable adjustment within 30 days after the end of the period of work stoppage, then the contracting officer is required to make an equitable adjustment. Okay. Um, now, a scenario might come up that the contracting officer doesn't cancel a stop work order, but instead terminates a contract. What's what is, what is someone to do with that? Well, once we get to that point, there are two possible scenarios. One, the contracting officer could terminate the contract for the convenience of the government. That is, the government decides that it's no longer in its best interest. That's the test, the contracting officer has to determine that it's not in the government's best interest to proceed and then terminate it for convenience. Or if there was some default of the contracting office, of, I'm sorry, of the contractor, 
then the contracting officer can terminate the contract for default. Remember, a stop work order may arise from a government problem or a contractor problem, right? Or something like COVID-19, which is not really a problem caused by either. In the normal case, even though neither the government or the contractor are responsible, it's just not something the contractor is responsible for. But there are two scenarios, and let's talk about termination for convenience. So that falls under subpart C of the stop work order clause. And if the stop work order is not canceled and the work covered by the order is terminated for the convenience of the government, then we shift to a termination for convenience. And that's covered by a whole separate clause. And that clause is 52-249-2. So in a nutshell, if we have a termination for convenience arising after the stop work order, there's a whole host of actions that the contracting officer and the contract will implement. On the contractor side, that includes terminating subcontracts, settling outstanding liabilities and subcontractor termination settlement proposals, uh, delivering completed work item and parts of the work that were completed, and if the termination is partial, completing performance of the work that has not been terminated. Because remember, the stop work order and a termination for convenience can terminate the whole contract or just parts of it. Okay, so it's complicated, but in a nutshell, under the termination for convenience clause, the contractor simply closes out that part of the work that was terminated, settles up with the subcontractors through settlement proposals that are approved by the government. Then within essentially a one-year period after that time frame, the contractor negotiates its own settlement proposal with the contracting officer. But remember, the costs and documentation are going to include a whole host of elements. All right, so so that's that's T for C. Now we have the uh, other side, which is uh, T for D, which is termination for default. Default. Uh, what happens at that point? Well, you can imagine that the contractor is in a whole different mode when it's faced with a termination for default. It certainly would not want to have a termination for default on its record and probably will look to some of the defenses. But once we get to the point of a stop work order where the government's going to terminate and the contracting officer decides it's going to terminate for default, the contractor will want to look at some of the excuses and, and like for like the termination for convenience where we shifted to a different clause, we'll shift to the default clause. And the default clause has four, it, well, it has more than four, but in light of COVID-19, it has four excuses, if you will, the contractor can rely on in defenses to a termination for default. And those, very briefly, they're found at the default clause 52-249-10. And those defenses include acts of the government in either its sovereign or contractual capacity, acts of another contractor in the performance of a contract with the government, that's a separate prime contractor, if you will, epidemics, which of course come into play with COVID-19, and quarantine restrictions, which also have come into play with COVID-19. So we've got acts of the government, that's where the government might shut down a work site or shut down borders, limit um, importation of materials, or take other actions that affect the contractor, essentially. Number three, or subpart three of that clause, acts of another contractor in the performance of a contract with the government. Remember, if the government has separate prime contractors that delay the work, then if those delays arise from COVID-19 using our context, then the contractor can use that as, as an excuse, not only to defend against the termination for default, but to seek an equitable adjustment if the contract's not terminated. 
if we've got the termination for default, I think the contractor is going to want to look at its defenses to that. But even if the getting back to the stop work order, even if the contracting officer terminates for default, the contractor is still entitled to a credit, uh, in this case, an equitable adjustment for its uh, suspension of work costs. So the, the costs it incurred in making safe, demobilizing from the site, those things will be a credit against uh, the government's damages in the default case and give rise to an equitable adjustment on the part of the contract. All right, so so let's uh, aside from stopping the work and foregoing additional cost commitments, uh, what steps should a contractor take to protect its right to an REA or you know request for equitable adjustment or a claim? Well, the first thing we always advise contractors is to make sure they give notice to the contracting officer. And the notice requirement, the notice for the right to a certain equitable adjustment is 30 days after the end of the work stoppage, right? Because we're talking about stopping the work. And so there's that 30-day notice per notice period that's fairly consistent throughout the FAR. The contractor can give notice by email, of course. The FAR allows and, and actually uh, prescribes notice by email or allow, I should say allows notice by email as uh, a form of written notice. Now, the contractor needs to be careful when they're submitting a claim because right. email signatures don't count. So in terms of notice, you have that 30-day notice period, but then shifting to the actual claims, the contractor could have a time extension claim if the work is resumed, and it'll certainly have extra cost claims. And so basically on the schedule side, the contractor is going to want to make sure it's updated its project schedules and then impacts them, performs a time impact analysis, looking at the critical path to determine how the stop work order actually affected the critical path of the work once it resumes. On the cost side, normally the contractor is going to want to follow change order, or co uh, change order cost accounting standards. I don't mean standards in terms of the written standard, what I'm talking about is simply segregating costs, making sure that all of the costs are backed up in the accounting system. There are tickets for labor. There are timesheets that are segregated to a cost code. So we would open a new cost code following change order accounting techniques and making sure at the bottom line is we're making sure we're allocating the costs arising from the stop work order to separate cost codes to the extent we're able to track. Uh, so this is all, um, as we wrap this up, Jim, uh, this is all in uh, the FAR 52.242-15 uh, under the stock, stop work orders. Uh, so that's, that's correct. probably the clause that, that everybody should be aware of and uh, read through carefully so they know what they're getting themselves into. I think the last thing I would say is remember that there are, even if the project stopped and the contractor has to stand down, CARES Act has certain policy components that allow for the contractor to maintain payroll and maintain its personnel in a ready state to perform. So don't overlook potential other avenues of recovery. Thank you, Jim, for joining me today, and we appreciate your insights. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do so? Uh, that's a great point, Todd. Uh, people should feel free to reach out to me at uh, by email at J-N-E-W-L-A-N-D at Seifarth, that's S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H dot com, or by telephone at 571-216-6014. Thank you, Todd. Well, thank you. If you have other topics you want us to cover in a podcast, please send me a note at Todd at FedPubSeminars.com. And until next time, stay safe, keep your distance, and remember to read the FAR. 
Thank you.